Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Any day now. Run! Run! What's up, 10 a.m.? How you guys doing? Welcome to church today. Are you awake? You're here? A few of you are here. Awesome. Thank you so much. Man, you made it. It's, what is it, five below outside? I'm so glad that you came. Uh, glad that you got out of the house and uh, made space for us to gather here uh, today. And if you're brand new to ACF, just know that we are absolutely thrilled that you're here with us this morning. Um, glad that you're here, no matter where you're at in your journey with Jesus. Uh, if you've been a Christian for your whole life, or uh, maybe you're still not sure what you think about God or the church, uh, I just want you to know you're in the right place, and we're all somewhere on the journey together. And so we are in a series of talks called Pace Yourself, and the premise behind this series is that we believe that uh, one of the greatest threats to our spiritual journey One of the greatest threats to us becoming the men and the women that God has intended us to be is the pace of our lives. We're actually running at a pace as a culture and as individuals and even as Christians that is not helping us win the race. And so we started off this series talking about our identities, talking about who we are, that we're going to reject kind of the message of our culture, which is you are what you do. You are what you do. So we get all of our identity from what we do. Instead, as believers in Jesus, what we would say is that what you do comes from who you are. And we talked about how Jesus, there was this beautiful moment of his life where uh, before he did any of his ministry, before any miracles, he was being baptized. And at the baptism of Jesus, the Father speaks to the Son. God the Father speaks to Jesus and says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And, and this is just something we need to breathe in as individuals, that wherever you're at here today, as you come to church, before you ever put your feet on the carpet in the morning, that if you're a son or daughter of God, that the Father looks at you and he's pleased with you, that he loves you. And, and maybe you're like, man, he's not pleased with this that I do, or this problem in my life, or this issue, and maybe he's not. But for you as an individual, Your identity is grounded firmly in Christ Jesus, which means the Father looks at you and he sees Jesus. And I want to talk about this. It's really important that we keep coming back to this every single week because we can't really move forward if we don't get this one idea. If we don't know who we are in Christ, we won't know how to act out our lives as Christians. We won't know what to do with our lives or what we'll start to do is all of the right things for all the wrong reasons. We'll fall into this trap of religious behavior in some way that we want to we be loved more by God or more accepted by God. Instead, God says, I couldn't love you anymore. I couldn't accept you anymore. And so from that place, we then want to look at our lives 
and ask the question, well, what's next? What's next? Uh, We talk a lot as a church about amplifying the grace of Jesus. We are a church of grace. And uh, I think grace is something that is absent in much of the church today, something that, that we all are thirsty for. I could use some more grace. I don't know about you. But in some ways, grace has become an excuse to be stagnant. We've maybe misunderstood the grace of God and not realized that salvation is just the beginning. Salvation is the start of this journey with Jesus, where now we learn what it looks like to fully embrace who God says we are. And so we're spending some time in this series talking about the practices of our our faith, these disciplines, which everybody loves the word discipline, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's not a real popular thing to talk about. But these are really these ancient rhythms, ancient disciplines that we get to weave into our lives that will help us to change and grow fully into the people that God has called us to be. And so the first week we talked about our identities. Uh, Then we talked a little bit about silence and solitude, uh, which I don't know how you did with that. Anybody get silent last week? Maybe just take a moment and try to hear from God. And this week we're talking about the biblical practice of Sabbath. Sabbath. And I want to read two texts as we start off. Matthew eleven twenty eight. This is a bit of a grounding text for our whole series. And this is Jesus speaking. I just want you to imagine him saying this directly to you right here and right now. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And I want you to know that when you meet Jesus, Jesus actually wants to invite you into a real rest. I don't know about you, but I'm like, oh, I could use some of that in my life, right? I could use some real rest that fills me up. And then I want to flip over to Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 2. And this is where we see this rhythm of working and resting being woven into creation. And it says this, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So I've entitled this week, uh, Pump the Brakes. Pump the Brakes. I'm just curious real quick. I'm a car guy, so I talk a lot about vehicles. It's just something that I'm passionate about. Um, I want to hear first car uh, over here in this section. Tell me, what was your first car? Anybody? Toyota Camry, what year? Do you remember? 2006, Toyota Camry. Who here? Anybody first car? 1977 Corolla. What? What is it? Toyota Corolla. All right. Well, anybody over here? First car? Yeah. Hand up. 280Z. Is that, what is that, Nissan or a is that a Nissan? Awesome. So my first truck was a 1979 Ford F-250 two-wheel drive pickup. I loved it. I had the 400. It's a great pickup. Um, and I've always been a car guy. I've had multiple vehicles. And so um, I, I kind of ran that into the ground. And then I got a, another vehicle to be my daily driver back when we lived in Grand Junction, Colorado. And uh, it was this. Yeah. Safety first, friends. Safety first. Uh, this is a 1946 Willys Jeep CJ2A. It's a, 
It, it's beautiful. And I'll be honest, this wasn't the exact Jeep. I looked for the, a picture of my Jeep, but it's, it's pretty close down to the rust on the rocker panel. It was just like it. And so uh, this was my daily driver. And, and uh, when I bought it, it was just kind of dilapidated in a field with a bunch of like stuff growing up underneath it. And I yanked it out, got it started and it just drove, right? Zero maintenance, didn't do anything to it. I, it just, it ran and it stopped. And I was like, sweet, I can get to work. And so I, I was driving this thing every single day. I remember one day I was driving uh, to work, and, and I was going down this long stretch of road, and as usual, I'm, I'm daydreaming on my commute. That's kind of what I do. It's not safe. Don't daydream while you're driving, but um, that's, that's what I would do. And so I'm kind of off in another land, and, and I'm just putzing along here, and then I see that the, the brake lights are coming up in front of me, and I need to stop, and I, I push the brake pedal, and I don't know if you ever had this happen to you, but it went all the way to the floor. And I was just like you know, heart went to my stomach, like, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. And so I, I, I didn't know what to do, and the cars are getting closer. I'm still doing 45 miles an hour, and so I bail off into the ditch. And now I'm like rallying this 1946 Jeep in the ditch. I'm hitting jumps and, you know, going over things, and, and, and slowly the thing started slowing down, and, you know, I, I, I managed to avoid all the road signs, you know, and every other vehicle, and I stopped and pretty much had a nervous breakdown, right? And it's scary when you think you can stop and you can't, isn't it? I mean, it's scary that moment you realize, I thought I was in control, and I just, I just wasn't. And what I want to propose to you is that this is how most of us live. Uh, like true addicts, we all say, I could stop if I wanted to. But the truth is, mo- most of us can't. Most of us don't know how to rest. Most of us don't know how to slow down. So I want to talk about what the, what the word Sabbath means and how it applies to our lives today. And I know for some of you, the word Sabbath seems like a a very old, outdated word or concept. And I just want you to know, it is something that we need for today and right now. The word Sabbath is the Hebrew, Hebrew word Shabbat, which simply means to stop. Or another definition of this word would be to delight. And I love that the moment that God creates the world, we know that he looks upon the world, he says it is good, right? God creates mankind. He says, mankind is very good. And God spends six days creating, and then it says that when the work was finished, he stopped, and he took a day off. And I just want you to consider that for a moment first. Why did God spend six days creating the world and one day resting? Certainly God could snap his fingers and create the world, right? It's not like he was like, well, this is going to be really complicated, right? Human body is really, so this is going to take me six days not just one day. And then why, why one day of rest? Like maybe he needed more. Maybe he needed less, right? God certainly wasn't tired after creation. He's all-powerful, right? But what I believe is that God was establishing a rhythm for his creation to follow. He was establishing in the creation story a rhythm for you and for me that would continue to be lived out for human flourishing for years and years and years to come. At least this was God's intention. So when the work was done, God rested. And as I was reading that this week, my mind instantly went to Jesus on the cross and how his last words were what? Do you guys remember? It is finished, right? So God creates the world. When the work is done, he rests. Jesus Goes, up, goes up to the cross for us, right? Dies for the sins of humanity. And when the work is done, the last words he speaks on the cross are, it is finished. It is finished. I think that what God is trying to do is establish a rhythm of working and resting. 
I think work is very important in case you're like, <laughs> Brian just wants some more days off. No, I love to work. Uh, I, I love working on things. I love, I love coming and, and doing ministry here at, at ACF Church. I love all the things that I get to put my hand to. And in fact, God created work in the garden. And so we need to remember that, that work was part of God's original creation. I, many people today are like, no, work is of the devil. Work must be post-fall of humanity. It wasn't. God actually created mankind to work in the garden, to enjoy putting their hands to something and, and, and to, to see it develop. And I actually believe that in heaven, in eternity, that you will have a job to do. There will be work to be done as God establishes his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And so if you hate work, you're going to hate heaven, just so you know. There's going to be work to be done, but it's going to be amazing work. It's going to be the kind of work that when you do it, you're just like, that's awesome. I love it. You're going to see what you've done and enjoy what you've done. But there will also be rest. This rhythm of working and resting was established in the very beginning. And Jesus, when he's on earth, he preached one sermon more than any other sermon. And it was this, the kingdom of heaven is near. Therefore, repent and believe the good news. Believe in the gospel. The essence of the gospel or the good news is that heaven has come to earth through the person of Jesus. It's really good news. And so now we today, we live in that reality. We live in that it is finished. We live, Jesus went to the cross for us. And so we live in that reality. And yet, as we look at the world, we see that there's still lots of work to be done. It's this tension that we feel that the work is finished, yet in some ways, there's more work to be done. And here's how I would describe the way we're to work today. We are to work like heaven is near and rest like the work is finished. I mean, I think that's what Jesus wants for us, is he wants our hearts to be broken for what's broken in our city. He wants us to see the depression and the depravity around us, the addiction around us. And he wants our hearts to be broken to the point that we go, I got to do something about this. There's work to be done. And so there's something beautiful and even God-honoring about hard labor, about good, hard work. And yet when you lay your head down on your pillow at night, the belief within Our hearts as Christians is simply that the work is done. The work is done. In the end, this does not depend on me. And when we Sabbath, when we learn how to rest, which is not something we do really well, especially in America today, it changes our entire lives. I love this Walter Brueggemann quote. He says this, People who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. That a man or woman who knows how to have a, a, a rhythm of Sabbath in their life literally lives all days differently. Uh, Dan Allender says it this, like this. He says, the Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. It is the day we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and the day we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And so I want you to consider first, what is a world without Sabbath? I don't think you have to work too hard or get too imaginative to figure that out. It's the world we live in. It's a world of constant hurry, constant unrest, constant rushing around, right? It's a world of burnout and of frustration and anxiety. It's a world where you crash into bed at night just obliterated by your lack of boundaries during the day and you wake up tomorrow to do it all over again, right? 
And I just want you to know, like for me, I've been kind of internalizing all of this, and, and pastors are notorious for this. I'm just seeing more and more pastors burning out of ministry, hitting a point where they just, they crash into a sabbatical, or they crash into the weekend, and they are not healthy at all. Nervous breakdowns are extremely uh, common in ministry for pastors, and, and just in, in general for people today, anxiety is certainly a huge, huge issue. We live constantly running around. And it's a little like this. It's a little like racking up credit card debt. Uh, I don't know how many credit cards you have, uh, but I know there can be a, a temptation to just keep putting things on the credit card, right? And then at some point you get those letters in the mail, those love letters from the bank, right? And they're, they're the letters that say, hey, you owe us not only the money for everything you purchased, but also the interest for the time that's gone by since you've You've purchased these items. And what I want you to know is that a life without Sabbath is sort of like this. As you skip your days off, as you skip the rest that you're intended to have in your life, you're not only racking up debt, you're racking up interest. It is multiplying its effect on your life and affecting your relationships, your outlook on life in general. I mean, it's affecting your productivity. We've seen that cultures over uh, generations have tried to get away from Sabbath and rest uh, some cultures have gone to like a 10-day work week instead of a standard seven-day work week, and it has resulted in a lack of productivity, that there's sort of this point of diminished return where uh, you're no longer being productive. You just need to rest. That's how the body was created. God made us to rest. We're made to slow down, and yet none of us <laughs> really do this very, very well. And so we want to spend some time talking about what this could look like for us. And I want to start by looking back at what it looked like for God's people. And so what we see is this, if you've ever read through the book of Exodus, what we see is God's people who are enslaved in Egypt, okay? And Egypt, you could describe Egypt as a world without Sabbath for God's people. And so we, we, we pick this up in Exodus chapter 1, verse 13. It says, And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. And made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, in all kinds of work in the fields. Okay, so what we see is that God's people were many. And then because of that, they were a threat to Pharaoh's power. And so Pharaoh was like, well, let's make them slaves so they aren't a threat to me. And so now they are enslaved to this ruthless type of work. And I thought it was interesting that the book that we're reading through as a church is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And yet we read in this text that they were ruthless about work. And I would say, man, doesn't that describe most Americans? We are much more ruthless about work than we are about rest. And so we see God's people enslaved. And one thing we know about being a slave is that you don't get a day off. That's not how it works. You're a slave, so you just work. That is your existence. And at some point as you read through this story, you see that it starts to get to the people and really affect them. To the point that they are crying out for a Sabbath. They're crying out for a day to go make sacrifices to God. And because of that, Pharaoh looks down and he's like, oh, you guys, you guys seriously, you just don't want to work. Like, that's your problem. You don't, you don't want to go, go actually sacrifice to your God. It's just that you don't want to work. And so in, in chapter 5, verse 6, it says, In the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people in their foremen, you shall no longer supply the people with straw for making bricks. They must go and gather their own straw, but require of them the same quota of bricks as before. Do not reduce it, for they are lazy. 
That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. So interesting, so they're making bricks. This is their job. I don't know how many of you are brick makers, uh, but this would be a bit of a tedious job anyway, especially in their day. And because of them asking for a Sabbath, the Pharaoh's like, I'm going to teach you guys how to work. I'm going to take away your straw. Now, the straw was what gave structure to the bricks. I mean, you can imagine, like, the mud would need something to kind of hold it together. And so he's like, I'm going to take away your straw. You can get your own straw and make the same number of bricks. Why? Because you're lazy. You need, you need to learn how to work even harder. And I, I want to I share this story because of a couple of reasons. First, their existence was much like our existence. And I don't know if you've ever thought of your life as a life of slavery, but this is what happens when we don't have Sabbath, is we actually become enslaved to our work, enslaved to the things that could give us life and could be enjoyable. Instead, they are slavery to us. And then maybe some of you have run into this where you've tried to ratchet things back a little bit, get a little rest and margin in your life, and you've experienced the pushback. Uh, maybe the pushback from your parents, pushback from your coworkers, pushback from your boss. And so every time you want a little margin, they're like, I get it, you don't want to work. You're lazy. And maybe you've even experienced them making your life harder because of that. And so I, I share this because I just want you to know, this is not easy. What we're trying to do is not easy. I was talking with a friend in the lobby after the first service, and he was like, hey, every time my wife and I talk about putting margin and Sabbath in our lives, it's an argument. And so what I know is if you're actually taking this stuff seriously, it probably has created more tension and not less, at least to start off with. Uh, it, it maybe is, has brought up some difficulty with your work, and you're trying to figure out, how do I, how do, I do this, Brian? I, I work on the slope. I'm gone for a month. Or I get deployed, and I'm gone for six months. And, you know, how do I work this stuff into my life? And, and we're going to get to more details on that at the end of this message. But I think the deal is we need to start with ourselves. What do we believe about rest? Do you have this feeling in your life that when you rest, do you feel lazy? This is my problem. I can't make it through a whole football game on TV without going like, I got to go do something. I just feel like I'm wasting time. And there's some good games on today. And I guarantee you, I will struggle just sitting and watching a football game, right? Do you just feel lazy when you know that you need to rest a little bit? I think here's the new belief that I'd love for us to embrace. It's that not producing will actually produce more joy in your life. That when you're not producing, you're actually producing something, right? When you're not actually doing something with your hands or pushing the ball forward down the court at work or whatever it may be, working on your studies, that there is actually something that happens that you produce within your own heart. And there's a joy that's produced there that cannot be produced by simply continuing to grind away at your job. A couple reasons that I think that we don't take this seriously or that most of us don't Sabbath. Um, I think in the church, one of the things is that we think the Sabbath is legalistic. We, we, we go, man, that's, that's old school or that's Old Testament, you know, and, and that's just legalistic. We don't need any more rules in our lives, Brian. And so we think of the, the Sabbath as legalistic. Now, I want you to hear this. There is no such thing as a legalistic action, only legalistic hearts. There is no such thing as a legalistic action. There are only legalistic hearts. So that thing that you've labeled as legalistic may not be legalistic at all. You've just seen it played out in a legalistic way. Or maybe you viewed it in a legalistic way. Legalism is simply when we use a spiritual tool to elevate ourselves or others instead of Jesus. 
And it becomes about the tool instead of about Jesus. And maybe you grew up like that, and every Sunday was the Sabbath, and you know, it was this very religious thing that you never really understood, and maybe your family didn't really understand. You did it consistently, but it didn't actually change your life. And it certainly didn't point your hearts towards Jesus. So that became this legalistic action that you're just like, yeah, see, what? that's why this isn't important or something that we should do. I think the next reason we write it off um, is because it's in the Old Testament. We say, oh, that's, that's an Old Testament law. Uh, that's not something we need to do. And so we do read that in the Ten Commandments, we see the Sabbath. Exodus 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. So I think part of the reason that we, that we do this is we don't understand what the Ten Commandments were. We don't understand what the law was about. But really what we need to know is that it was all intended to help us understand the character of God and to help us learn what it meant to live lives that are directed towards honoring him. And so when Jesus shows up, he, he's asked about the law and the prophets. Remember this, right? And he says, hey, uh, he's asked, what is the greatest law? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And he boils all of this down to these two things. And what we know about those two statements is that that is the high bar. It is hard to love. It's easy to follow the, the rules and hard to really love people and to love God. And so when we read the Ten Commandments, we don't simply throw them out as outdated or old school, right? We, we say, these are like training wheels to help us understand what it means to, to live in this world, to love God and to love each other, right? Because there's more in the Ten Commandments, right? Honor your father and mother. We don't throw that one out, do we, parents? We're like, no, you better do that, right? Do not murder. We should follow that one, shouldn't we? Don't murder. Uh, do not steal. Do not lie. Do not commit adultery. I mean, men, that's not going to work. Like, honey, that's Old Testament. You know, it's not going to work. It's not a good argument, right? We follow that one just as much as any others, right? And yet, this idea of Sabbath, it is the only spiritual discipline that makes it into the Ten Commandments. So there's something about it that, that, that we literally cannot live full lives unless we learn how to rest, unless we learn how to slow down. There's a moment in Jesus' life where uh, he's walking with his disciples, and um, it's on the Sabbath, and they're walking through this field, and they start picking grain. And they start getting criticized by the religious leaders because they were working on the Sabbath. And see, in their culture, it was completely different than our culture. The Sabbath had become this crushing weight and burden. And so everybody was fighting to live according to the Sabbath as defined by them and by the religious leaders. And they'd created all these extra rules to define what work was, what it wasn't, how many steps you could walk in a day, and what it actually looked like to, to, to work, and was it working to lift the fork up to your mouth to eat or, you know, or not. And so all of these extra additional rules were created to define what work really was. And so it had become this crushing burden this legalistic thing for them in their culture. And so Jesus is getting criticized because they're picking grain on the Sabbath. I love Jesus. You got to read through the, through the Gospels with, with a perspective of rebellion because Jesus is such a rebel. He is such a rebel. They could have picked grain the day before. They could have honored, but he intentionally does all of this work on the Sabbath to show them what it was intended to be about. And he says this in Mark 2. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
So the first thing we read in that, <laughs> I've heard a lot of Christians read this and go, see, Jesus doesn't think the Sabbath is important. That's not what he said. He starts off by saying the Sabbath was made for man. So here, look at me right now. The Sabbath was made for you. God literally made it as a gift for you. It's something that he has for you. To, to flourish and live full lives, God made the Sabbath for you, but you were not made for it. Do you see the difference? Like, there's a big difference. And he goes on, he has this argument with the religious leaders, and he's like, if you had a sheep that fell in a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't you dig it up out of the pit? Well, certainly, right? And then he gets into this whole thing about healing on the Sabbath. Essentially, Jesus is making this point that God is more concerned with meeting the needs of people than he is with protecting some kind of religious tradition. And, And for us, I think the same is true. But instead, I think our culture, we have overcompensated, we have overcorrected, and now we're a culture that doesn't care at all about Sabbath. It's not that we've become so rigorous about it that, you know, Jesus is like, hey, careful, you want to make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. We've just thrown it out altogether. He said, we think we can thrive without rest in our lives. The why behind your Sabbath really matters. The why behind your rest really matters. I think what Jesus is trying to communicate is that he is our Sabbath rest and we must ruthlessly make space in our lives to enjoy him. That he is the purpose of the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath rest. And as we live lives with Jesus, we can live a life of Sabbath. We can live Sabbath rest all day long, all week long. Now we want a day that's dedicated, I think, to this and we're going to talk more about that. But Jesus is like, hey, when you take me with you, you take rest with you. Everywhere you go, into the staff meeting, into that difficult conversation with one of your kids, like you can have rest because you have Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing to believe. So I want to give you three, uh, three reasons to Sabbath, uh, three purposes behind this. And uh, I want to start off in Psalm 62. It says this, rest in God alone, O my soul, for my hope comes from him. So the first reason to Sabbath is to rest. We need, we need rest in our lives. You need some rest in your life. I'll start with this. Maybe the most spiritual thing you can do today is take a nap. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, applaud for, for taking a nap. Somebody needs a nap really, really bad. So I just want to empower you in that, that you, you were created by God with this rhythm that's, that's woven into your DNA. And sometimes we think we need to produce, produce, produce. And, and by not producing, you're going to produce more joy in your life, which means that by having a nap, taking a nap, all of a sudden you become a better parent, a better husband, a better child, a better teenager, whatever season of life that you're in, you're going to be better because you sleep, right? Sometimes we just need to rest. We literally need sleep to function, and so uh, John Mark Comer in his book, he gives two questions that he uses personally to determine if what he's doing is something he should do on the Sabbath. And the first is, is it rest? And the second is, is it worship? Does it help me to rest and it does, it, does it help direct my affections towards God? And if it doesn't fit into one of those categories, do it tomorrow. Pick a different day. Is it rest? Is it worship? Now, I get that if you're creative enough, you can work anything into both of those categories. Um, but if you're having to do that, you probably shouldn't do it, right? And, and again, you got to be careful because you can walk into a legalistic thing and, and, and I can't really define this perfectly for you because what's rest to you is not rest for me. 
and, and vice versa, right? For me, wrenching on a car is rest. For you, that sounds like a lot of cuss words, right? And a lot of frustration. You're like, that, that is not rest for me. And I get that. But you have to go, is this rest in my life? Isn't it funny that we have to, we have to be talked into resting? Isn't it funny? I mean, really, to, to, to be people of rest in worship, like I don't have to talk my kids into eating ice cream. They just know that, it's, that they love it. And that there's something about when we get into a rhythm of Sabbath, as we read earlier, that I think you're going to start to look forward to it all week long and that you're going to live from it after you have a Sabbath. Moving on here, I think the first reason to Sabbath is to rest. Um, the second reason comes from Romans 12.1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Another translation says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's great mercy. So the second reason to Sabbath is to remember. First, it's to rest. Second, it's to remember the mercy of God on your life. Has God been merciful to you? All the Christians in the room should be like, yep, yep, God's been pretty merciful to me. Um, If I'm honest about myself, if I'm honest about my life up until this point, um, God has been merciful to me. And we need a day to remember the mercy of God. Back to Israel. Here they are making bricks. Now making bricks without straw. (laughs) I mean, really hating life. A life of slavery. And amidst their slavery, all they wanted to do, all they craved was to get away and worship and remember God's faithfulness to them. That within the slavery, within the work and the grind of the daily day, uh, daily work, that they needed to come back and go, God, I know you're faithful. I know you're merciful. I know you're good to us. And so that might be you today, that, that you need to, to take time and space to remember God's mercy because your life feels a little like slavery right now, right? Your life feels a little bit like the work will never end. And so you need to remember God's faithfulness. It's why every Thanksgiving, what do we do? We go around the table. We talk about how God was, was faithful this year because we know that remembering results in gratitude. And if you live a life where you're like, Brian, I'm not that grateful. I always want things. I'm not that grateful for what I have. It's probably because you don't remember enough. You don't stop to remember God's faithfulness and blessing in your life. So to rest, to remember, and the third comes from 2 Corinthians 9, says, do you not know that in a race all runners run but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. So there's a pace in which the world is running around you, and there's a belief system that everybody is operating by, and because of that, they're, they're actually probably uh, putting that operating system upon you in a lot of different ways, whether you realize it or not. And so he's saying that everybody's running in this world. Everybody's running at different paces based on what they believe this life is about, but you You need to run at a pace that will help you win the race. And the only way, listen, the only way you're going to be able to do this is if you begin to work these rhythms into your life. And so we Sabbath to rest. We Sabbath to remember. And the last is that we Sabbath to resist. Like we are starting a revolution at ACF Church. It's the revolution of rest. And it is so rebellious against the world that we live in. It is a completely different way of living, the world is setting a pace for us that is not sustainable. 
and will not lead to more joy in your life. And so when we Sabbath, we resist a culture of independence, a culture of self-reliance. We resist a culture of more. That's the culture we live in, right? Like we've never got enough. I mean, really that, what if on your Sabbath, let me just throw this out there, what if you didn't buy anything? How you doing? I, I mean, I just, some of you are like, I got anxiety already just thinking about the idea of not buying anything for one day. What if you didn't buy anything? I mean, I'll be honest, my name is Brian and I'm addicted to Amazon Prime. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just be the first to admit it. I was preaching this on Wednesday. I went home and I burned like 10 Amazon boxes in the fire behind the house. And I was like, I think we have a problem. I really do, right? If you'd never go home without seeing a little brown box in front of your door, you, like me, may have a problem. In fact, uh, Joe Sangle, who is one of our financial coaches uh, as a church, said this recently on his social media. He says, for many families, Amazon has replaced the physical credit card as the tool of choice for destroying the monthly budget. He says, I can't believe how many Amazon purchases I am seeing in budget coaching sessions. You guys, we live in a world of dissatisfaction. And that's why we can't rest. We live in a world where there's just always something more to go after so we don't know how to simply slow down and be. And to become a person who knows how to Sabbath means that we have to have a completely different belief system. We actually have to believe what Jesus said on the cross, that it is finished and that our lives ultimately don't depend on us. And I just, I want to put this out there. You may think you believe that. I may think that I believe that. But the reality that we don't rest well, that we're not willing to take a day and set it aside and, and begin to just you know, uh, direct our affections towards God, that reality identifies that we have a faith problem, that we don't truly believe that God's got us and that grinding it out another day isn't going to actually get us a step ahead in the end. It's probably going to put us behind. And so all I can do for you here today is share a little bit of our journey as a family, some things that we've done. Uh, We realized that uh, we weren't doing this well as a family. And so we've been on a journey to create some some patterns and rhythms in our life. Uh, John Calvin had what he called his rule of life, which was sort of his rhythm that he created to live life by so that he might honor God and honor rest well. And so one of the things in our life was our digital intake. We realized that we didn't have a lot of limitations on this. Our kids are always you know, on the phone, we would go out on dates and we'd be on our phones, you know, and miss kind of the moment with each other. And so uh, we created a rule of life uh, for all of our digital intake and and for our chores and things like that. In fact, I think we have a picture. Um, There it is. There is the inside of my cupboard. Um, We've got some Smarty Pants and some vitamin C. We're doing pretty good. Um, Cook family digital rule. So we just, I printed it off and I just pasted it, Right? Like Luther's thesis, like here it is, this is what we're going to live by, family. I pasted it on the inside of, um, of our cabinet. So we got like ground rule for cookies, that's what we call our kids, they're our cookies. Um, we think it's cute. So, But then we've got a schedule for, you know, what, what life looks like when they're eating breakfast, what chores they're doing, when they can be on or off. Um, their devices and things like so. There's another page on the other side that's more about us and how mom and dad are doing things. And so this is this is something that we began to implement. It's still a work in progress. Um, but I want to give you a few ideas for your Sabbath. First, uh, schedule it weekly. Make this a weekly thing. You can't be like, I'm going to Sabbath in a year. 
and make up for 365 days with no margin. It's not going to work out. Uh, Maybe you need to spend a day, and like I said, don't buy anything for a day. Turn off your phone for a day. Can you imagine? Oh my goodness. One day with no phone, it would freak us out. Take a nap. Hallelujah. There's some nappers in this room. Uh, Not right now. Don't nap during the sermon, but you can nap later today. I love this one. Do everything slower. What if, I'm just throwing this out there. What if for one day you got in the slow lane on the highway? You're laughing because you're not going to do it. I know. <laughs> what, what, if, what if for one day when you went to Fred Meyer, you got into the longest line and you just stood there? Just talked to the person in front of you, looked around, just enjoyed slowing down. Have a feast. I like this one. Eat really well on your Sabbath. You should do that. If you're uh, really, really particular about what you eat, um, if you're on a diet, oops, there goes my microphone. If you're on a diet, what if, that, what if your cheat day was your Sabbath? What if that's the day that you're like, I'm eating a stack of pancakes and bacon. That is my Sabbath. I'd encourage you to do that. Um, go to the park. Get on top of Baldy. Read a book. Especially, hey, men in the room, I'm just telling you, stop saying you're not readers. You read the internet all day long. You read Popular Mechanics. I know you can read. I can read too. What if you dedicated some time every single week to reading? I mean, we, here's the reality. We read what we think is valuable. That's it. We just read what we think is valuable. So what if we took some time and we started reading? In the end, here's the deal. The Sabbath is the opposite of living a burdensome religion. Burdensome religion says the work is never done. The Sabbath is our way of resisting the culture and saying it is finished and my life doesn't depend on me. So would you stand up? I'd love to pray for us as we go on and worship here today. And I want to I challenge us here, even as we, as we pray together, just as a symbol of us surrendering our lives to Jesus, would you just extend an arm and a hand to, to just say, Jesus, I surrender to you and let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much that you have, you've given us permission and even commanded us to rest. And Father, we want to receive that today. We want to move into a new season of life where we can know that, Father, we can't place another breath in our own lungs. And in the end, everything that we work so hard to acquire uh, will just be dust. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us an eternal perspective, a kingdom perspective. And God, may we be the kind of people that, that work hard like heaven is here, heaven is near, and yet, God, that we would sleep and rest like the work is finished. God, I pray that you weave that into our souls and that it flow out in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.